All right, if you have a Bible, want to turn to Ephesians chapter 5, please. Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to look at verse 21, and the title is Christian Submission. Now, Paul has given seven marks of walking in wisdom in chapter 5, verse 15 through 21. Walking circumspectly, walking redeeming the time in verse 16. The first one was in 15. Walking out of the will of the Lord in verse 17. Walking being filled with the Holy Spirit in verse 18. And walking speaking to ourselves in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody in our hearts of the Lord in verse 19. Then walking, giving thanks in verse 20. And seventh and last is walking, submitting to one another, verse 21. We pointed out that verse 21 is not a new section, but part of the closing section that goes 19 to 21. Otherwise, it would interrupt the last of the seven marks of walking and wisdom that run from 15 to 21. As well as interrupting the natural flow of the four participles that appear in 19 to 21. Plus ignoring the clear distinction of the submission by the context. Verse 21 is reciprocal. Submission of one Christian to another. But verse 21 here, or 22, is mutual. Mutual submission of wives and husbands. There's a big difference between my submission to you, to me, than the submission of husband and wife. Two distinct things. So, the conclusion is that verse 21 is transitional. Going from submission to each other, to wife and husband, and the entire family household. That begins in verse 22, down to chapter 6, verse 9. Not verse 21. 21 is transitional. It straddles both ends. So Paul has described the spirit-filled life as a constant co-participation with God. There, from Ephesians 18 to 21. So once again, verse 21 and 18, therefore, are both transitional. Going from the general responsibility of every believer to submit to the specific in marriage and the entire household. Now, we want to take a close look at the responsibility of submission in the life of a Christian before we deal with it in marriage and the family. Since there is such a negative view towards submission in our secular world as well as in the church today. It's not just outside the church. The humanistic philosophy of love yourself has um, permeated our American society, as you know, in the church. Many people are living by a pop Christian psychology theology that's based on the integration and subjective interpretation of Scripture based on feeling good about yourself under the pretext that you must love yourself before you can love others. It's taught all over, both in the church and in secular circles. The popularity of Dr. James Dobson in the 70s through the 90s, who calls himself a Christian psychologist, popularized this quasi-watered-down theology, convincing people that there is such a thing as Christian psychology. When in fact, there is, this is what Paul is warning the Colossians about in Colossians 2.8. He says, beware lest anyone cheat you, literally plunder you or take you captive through philosophy, philosophia, the love of wisdom, which is um, empty deceit according to the traditions of man, according to the basic principle of the world, and not according to Christ. You may be a Christian, and you may be a psychologist, but there's no such thing as Christian psychology. It's like grape nut. Neither grape nor nut. What is it? All psychology is based on secular humanism. It's sourced and based on that. Sigmund Freud, Alfred Adler, Eric Fromm, Abraham Maslow, Carl Rogers, and just keep adding the names. 
This is a life of carnality, integrating light and darkness, revealing oneself to be a Corinthian, living for the trinity of darkness, me, myself, and I. And so, that's why I want to take one complete study to just look at the overall submission to the Christian. There are three things we want to see regarding submission here in verse 21. First, submission is this, the distinguishing mark of the believer. Second, submission is distasteful to the unbeliever. And thirdly, submission is to depict the Christian home controlled by the Spirit. Let's begin with submission as a distinguishing mark of the believer. Now, the believer's example of the principle of submission is epitomized in our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to Matthew twenty twenty eight. The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Those are the words of Jesus. He's our primary example. Being God, he submitted himself to this. He came as a servant. The Apostle Paul in Philippians 2, 7 through 8, as you know, detailed the process of the submission of Jesus as he took on the form of a servant. He humbled himself, didn't think of robbery to be equal with God, and he was obedient to the death of the cross. He emptied himself of his glory, never of his deity. Each of us should be humble when we think of the submission of Christ for our benefit. Each of us should recognize our pride that keeps and will keep us from submitting to each other by, for submission always, which is the benefit for others. So when you submit and I submit, it's because someone's going to get a benefit of that. It's in obedience. Our pride says, no, you don't need to serve. You need to be served. That's the sinful passions of me. That's the flesh. That's pride. That's the fallen man. And I have a sin nature like anybody else who's not born again. Though I have a divine nature now that I can not give in to the old sin nature. But it is a choice. Now the believer is commanded throughout scripture to submit. Let me give you some text. In Romans 13.1, Paul says, Let every soul be subject to governing authorities as they are ordained by God, and those who resist them will bring judgment on themselves. He's talking about secular government, police departments, government officials, state departments, stuff like that. And they're non-believers for the most part. Okay? The context is Rome. Okay? Put it in context. Paul's talking about the Roman government. All right? Because even bad government is better than no government at all. Then it's just open anarchy, revolution. Again, think of the day Rome was persecuting the Christians. The limitation of submission, again, by the state is when they would oppose us in our faith and command that we not worship Jesus or teach the scriptures and to be quiet. Then Acts 4.19 and 5.29 tells us that we're to obey God and not submit to them. That is the only time that we are to rebel against government of the land. Be very clear about that. Now, the Corinthians were to submit to the whole household of Stephanus as those who were laboring in Christ, he says in 1 Corinthians 16, 15 through 16. The context is biblical leadership, not abusive leadership or self-serving leadership. In other words, my authority over you is limited to the scriptures. And it's not forceful. You come here, you submit yourself to the standard of the scripture, not to me. I submit myself to the standard of the scripture, not to you directly. It's the scripture. The shepherding and oversight of the church by leaders is not to be by compulsion, Peter tells us, but rather by willing submission of the people, not lording over them as the flock of God, but being examples in 1 Peter 5, 2 through 3. So once again, after the example of Jesus, the capacity for submission is due to the new nature that we have received through accepting Jesus Christ. Listen again in Philippians 2, 3, it says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. And then he goes on to give us the example of Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. Okay. Our sinful nature always desires to be on top, not the bottom, which contradicts the humanistic teaching of low self-esteem. 
Kids are taught all through school and have been taught since the 70s, low self-esteem. No, they don't have low self-esteem. The problem is we have too high esteem. No man, no man, no man ever yet hated himself. Go somewhere and take a picture. Go to Magic Mountain or something. They take pictures. You come out, you look at it. You go, oh, that's not me. No, that's you. Look at you. Because you think you look a little better. And with selfies, you know, you can take all you want today. You can get the doctor them up. Later in the chapter, Paul was going to tell a man to love his wife as his own body. By taking the sinful practice of loving himself and applying it to his wife, he would be doing a good job. You see, we love ourselves. That's our sinful practice. That's the natural. If, if I could love my wife as I love myself, my wife would be the happiest woman in the world. But it's always tension, isn't it? It's always a choice. Now, the goal of submission is unity and protection for the body of Christ. Listen to Hebrews thirteen seventeen. Obey those who have the rule over you and be submissive. For they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Once again, the scriptures are the standard. We submit willfully, openly to the standard of the word of God, to men who are examples, to men who, who are teaching the word of God, and we see things according to scripture. And so the submission is mutual and is vol- voluntary by, uh, to the Lord and to the word, and God gets his work done through all of us. But no one of us have any ultimate authority over any one of us. Their authority is for order, for instruction, for the standard, for approaching one another, rebuking, reproving, instructing, even excommunicating. It's the scriptures, not myself. Now, there are always those who think they are not accountable to anyone. They're an authority in themselves, and they always are objecting or creating trouble when scriptural biblical authority is exercised in the church. And it's a day when everybody thinks they're an authority in themselves, and they have a right to shoot their mouth off, and nobody can say anything about it. It's just the age that we're living in. The submission of the believer is to be to the institutions of man as we've seen. Be they kings or governors, they're God-ordained for punishing the evildoer and praising the good. So Christians are to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak of their vice or for vice or wickedness, but as bondservants of God, 1 Peter 2, 13-17. So we are to be model examples to those that even though we don't agree with this, we're on a lot of different things. We are submissive to order, government, and laws. We don't agree with certain things that are legal, like abortion. I don't agree with it. I don't go along with it. Now, if the government tried to force my wife to have an abortion, then I would rebel. That's different. But I understand that they call it legal and those who have the freedom to choose, they want to do it, that's up to them. But if they ask me, I would say, no, that's murder. But I'm not going to force them to not have an abortion. I'm going to do all I can to convince them and to share with them. But when the government would force a woman who's a Christian to do it, then that's a different matter. Our responsibility is not always to demand our rights, but to do what is right for the glory of the Lord and his kingdom. Even as Paul submitted himself to being beat and imprisoned, remember, at Philippi for the purposes of God to save the jailer in Acts 16, 22 through 24. Now, ultimately, you know, when he was, um, when he pulled out his, Roman passport, and he appealed to Caesar, he finally ended up there. But he could have done that many times. He didn't do it. And um, we saw um, there was a, a purpose far beyond his own benefit. Now, the responsibility of believers in the church is to be no different. 
Listen to 1 Peter 5, 5. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. If you're clothed with pride, your submission is in, it's either hypocritical or by convenience. But if you're broken before the Lord, you're humble, then your submission is obedience to the word of God, knowing that God is doing things way beyond your understanding at times and that he knows what's best. You see, the believer in obedience to submission never means inferiority, but a recognition of one of two elements that must be present for effectiveness and productivity, the other being authority. The idea of submission has become a dirty word by the progressive liberal feminist movement and now the political correct movement also. They say and make a woman equal to a man at the expense of her divine role, which is the highest calling. Ladies, listen up. A wife and a mother. You can't get better than that. That's what God ordained you for created you for and the equality of today has destroyed that in the home for the woman in many ways the casualties are her husband children and her marriage too often without submission and authority as compliments nothing can function effectively or productively not a marriage not a family, not a nation. Provide me with one example of productivity and effectiveness that is void of those two principles, submission and authority. Can't have it. It won't happen. Without submission, that authority is worthless. Without authority, everyone does whatever they want. There's no need to submission. Those two must be together if there's going to be productivity and effectiveness. Again, as we saw last week, the word submit is hupotassel. It's made up of the two words, hupo, meaning under, and tassel, military term, meaning to drop under in order of someone of higher rank. You put them together, it means lining oneself up under someone having authority over you. But it never implies inferiority. Those of you who are in the service know that when you salute, you salute the rank, not the man. The man can be a complete idiot. Sometimes he is. It's the rank that you salute. There has to be order. There has to be authority. There has to be submission. If there's going to be effectiveness. Many submit to one another in their jobs, yet they're more intelligent, more able. But that is their position to bring about the effectiveness and productivity of that job. Paul says the head of Christ is God, yet Christ is never inferior to the Father, but rather submitted to the plan of the Father for effectiveness of what? The atonement. 1 Corinthians 11.3. Paul is giving God's creative order there, the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Now, if you look at that text and examine it, this is God's creative order for man's effectiveness and productive redemption. Christ isn't inferior to the Father, yet he's submissive to the Father. So if you say a woman is inferior because she submits, you're not being biblical. Ever. The same applies to the church and its members. Not all have the same function, but all are part of the whole body. Complementing and bringing about unity and diversity, magnifying unity. It's the diversity that magnifies the unity. Because diversity means difference, not the same. Our politically correct society has corrupted the definition of diversity. They interpret to mean equal, the same. It does not mean the same. Diversity means different. 
All of us are interdependent. We need one another. All of us are interrelated. We affect one another. None is inferior. None is superior. None is alike. None has the same function. Diversity, again, means different, not the same. The entire body submits to the head Christ, even as every part of my body and every organ in my body submits to the messages that the head sends. You strike the head, you hurt the body. You hurt my, any part of my body, it doesn't necessarily affect the head. Your head is what controls your body. Christ the head controls the church according to his word. Now, the believer submits in the fear of God. Very, very clear. Right here in, in this verse, he says it. The believer's reverence, respect, and adoration of the Lordship of Jesus is evident by walking in wisdom that we've seen in chapter 5, verse 15 through 21. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, Proverbs 1, 7 says. This refers to the basic foundation. The very foundation is the fear of the Lord. Then in Proverbs 9, 10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. There it refers to the first step. So after having laid the foundation, the fear of the Lord, the first step is still the fear of the Lord, which is turned into wisdom. You show me a person who does not fear the Lord, and I'll show you a person who doesn't submit to the body of Christ according to the scriptures and the purposes of God. They may go here to this church, that church, or once in a while the one, but they're, they're, they're not involved. They're not connected. They're, they're just, they're like a kite without a tail all over the place. They're in it for themselves. A person asked George Mueller one time, if you've never heard of George Mueller, he's an incredible man in England of faith. He had orphanages and get some of his little books. A lot of them are out of print. But they asked George Mueller the secret of his service. George Mueller said, quote, There was a day when I died. And as he spoke, he bent lower and lower until he almost touched the floor. He bent lower and lower until he was there at the floor. And then he said, died to George Mueller. His opinions, preferences, tastes. And will die to the world its approval or censure. Die to the approval or blame even of my brethren and friends. And since then, I have studied only to show myself approved unto God. Wow. You see, our submission to one another and as husbands and wives... Under the most difficult times is modeled by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. As he served the disciples by washing their feet, knowing they would all forsake him. And one would betray him in John 13. Stop and think about it. If you knew that your wife was going to betray you, would you marry her? Or your husband? Our flesh says, no way. Jesus knew all that. And he still washed her feet. So you and I can never say, well, Jesus, you, don't, you just don't understand. Really? Hmm. Submission and obedience in the believer's life and in marriage are synonymous in the scriptures. But what makes it pleasing to the Lord is the attitude of the heart. Not sacrifice. First Samuel fifteen twenty two. To obey is better than to sacrifice than the heart of the fat of rams. For rebellion is the sin of witchcraft. Wow. He's talking to believers when he says that. Not non believers. 
Often men want to make up for disobedience or justify it by their sacrifice. So, so often we as men will point to how much we do to our wives' work. You, you can't make up it by works. We must demonstrate it by love, not by the works, or that I work a lot, or that I provide for the house. Submission in marriage does not degrade a person, but rather exalt them by being all that God intended them to be, declaring that if we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, he will exalt us in due time, First Peter 5, 6. The world says, um, don't let them push you around. Stand up for yourself. And sometimes there's times when you need to. There's certainly places where you need to, but not the way we used to in the world. Where you just square out somebody and knock them down. Then get it over and go home. Now today, it's a whole different matter. You're done, and then they come and get you with the cops, right? It's a nanny state. We're raising a bunch of little girls. Nobody can take care of their business anymore. That's another different matter. Submission by a Christian or a married person after the manner of what is used to be taught the shepherding doctrine, which became very popular in the early 70s, is unbiblical because it's abusive and over control and the demanding permission of people to ask you what they can do. So elders would... You, they tell you who you could marry, who you couldn't marry. Should you buy this car? Shouldn't you buy this car? How much you give? No, that's not what the Bible teaches. It's completely wrong. You have all the freedom to live any way you want. It's up to you, between you and God. I instruct you. We give you the word. We all study the same thing. We understand the standards. There's no different standard for you than for me. I have the same standards. But you're responsible to God and the decisions you make about those standards. Um... People ask us all the time, do you guys have um, some recommendations of a lawyer or of a, of a, of a, uh, a house builder? We don't recommend to anybody. We don't stand up for anybody. We, that's between you and other people and God. We, we, we stay out of it completely, altogether. Submission in marriage is a carryover from submission to the Lord in single life. For the authority is the same. You ready for it? The scriptures. First Timothy three sixteen and 17. All scriptures given by inspiration of God. Proper for doctrine, correction, instruction. That the man of God may be thoroughly furnished with every good work. That's the standard for a single person and a married person. No different. So all of you singles. Rather than um, looking for the right person. Be preparing yourself to be the right person. Everybody's looking. Here's the problem with looking. You might find something. And you think it's a little goldfish and you go home and it's Joss. All right? You seek the Lord. You be prepared to be the person, the right person for the person God's going to bring to you. Submission is a distinguishing mark of the believer. Second, <clears throat> submission is distasteful to the unbeliever. No one wants to submit to any form of authority unless they see personal benefit. Everyone wants to lead and to rule. Everyone wants to work towards the top. Everyone submits as long as there's some personal benefit or profit. The entire philosophy of our day is you can do it. Go for it. You have it in you. Be positive. Stay focused. Though we are moving in transition now into 2000 to just being very, very complacent, non-abrasive, just follow rules, don't make ways, because they're moving us into a nanny socialist state. So there's a different trend that's going on now in our nation, see? In fact, they're even indoctrinating people to be snitches. 
whether you use a lot of water, whether, you know, you think somebody's hitting their kids or all this kind of stuff. It's all socialist Marxists. Not constitutional freedom of the First and Second Amendment. Special rights and privileges are now given to special interest groups to meet quotas of male versus females not having to submit to the same high standards. So we've lowered our standards for police departments, fire departments, and you finish the list. It is automatically clear and very instructional that men are stronger than women. Men are more confrontational than women. And they take the hardest and the most laborious jobs. You have more muscle, have your frame. God created us differently. I drive down the street, I see a 95, 105-pound woman with a jackhammer. My Lord, I wouldn't want to see her after 10 years. The pressures of confrontation. Now women are uh, seeing the same kind of physical and mental effects that used to plague just men from the labor force. Because they're not as resilient as men in terms of strength and everything. We're different. Yes, there are a few that can, but not as a rule. The average husband in our society today, the secular society, is not submitting to their responsibility as God intended because they're living for self. You and I used to live there. Without Christ, what else can we do? Um, he's not caring for his wife as Christ cares for the church. It is not even a consideration because he hasn't repented and come to Christ. He's not caring for his children as he should. He's too busy with caring for himself or work or his goals, especially today in today's society. I am amazed at how many people go on vacation without their children or go on vacation without their husband or wife or have girls night out or guys night out if you want girls night out and guys night out why'd you get married it's a very selfish society it brings a lot of problems I'm not saying you can't have a good time I'm not saying you can't go out with your buddies I'm not saying you can't out with your girlfriends but this methodical strategic world view that is so destructive is what's being indoctrinated and pushed on and when I'm speaking, I'm not speaking that it's not in the church. It is in the church. This is the majority in society today. Evident in the number of divorces, live-ins, runaways, and suicides. It's all around us. The greater tragedy is that Christian men are not submitting to the commands of the scriptures for their families to love their wives as Christ loved the church by denying themselves. All of us have this potential to raise their children in the Lord by word and example, to run their homes by biblical principles, not by worldly ones, by realizing the little compromise of little foxes that spoil the vine, those little things that add up and culminate bring down the house. The Christian in great numbers is living by worldly concepts and ideas, making it difficult to tell the difference between the Christian and the non-Christian today. Sometimes because of their ignorance of God's word by not studying it. Other times because they have secularized the gospel. And still other times just because they're rebellious and choose to live a carnal life for themselves. But every one of us have a choice to live and choose whatever we want. But we have no choice on escaping the consequences.
Once we sow to the flesh, we reap to the flesh, whether we're Christian or non-Christian. And if you sow to the flesh, you will not reap to the Spirit. If you plant beans, don't expect watermelon. It's just that simple. The average wife in our secular society is also failing to submit to her husband's authority as God intended because she's a liberated woman. Now she's a progressive liberated woman. We have been liberated from all forms of traditional male and female roles to include homosexual, bisexual, transsexual, and whatever else. I think they're up to about 20-some categories. I don't know. Call the nearest big university. They'll tell you. We have been saturated with the humanistic philosophies of our day, existentialism, situational ethics, value clarifications, having blurred the boundaries, resulting in confusion and disintegration of our society in America. What I'm telling you tonight is no different. I taught this stuff back in the 70s and the 80s when situational ethics, value clarifications, relativity was becoming to be introduced as a big thing in the colleges. We've sown to the wind, now we've reaped the whirlwind. The politically correct language of the 2000s has now become the foundation for the legislative enforcement and prosecution for those who offend anyone in an alternate lifestyle group. See the progression. That's what's called progressive liberal. America and the world has moved into an amoral society since 2000. A moral judgment about homosexuality categorizes you as homophobic. If a boy in school feels like he's a girl today, he can go into the girl's restroom or the girl's dressing rooms or vice versa. You no longer come from a broken home. Now you come from a dysfunctional home. You're no longer a drunk, but you have a disease. Let me ask you, how'd you get this disease? Did you walk by a bar and it go down your throat, grab you by the neck? Did you touch a drunk and then you got this disease? Or how did you catch it? It was self-induced by drinking. No one ever forced me to drink. And if I wouldn't have got saved, I would have probably been dead from drinking already. I've buried a good handful of my friends already. The entitlement mentality and policies have confused and corrupted the disintegration of our society, our nation. And it's moving forward, but it's always downward. The little sayings of the 60s, some of you who were there in the 70s, you'll identify them right away. They've sprouted their wings and have taken flesh throughout the 80s and 90s and into the 2000s, now into the millennials. Different strokes for different folks. Try it, you'll like it. Do your own thing. Do what you want to do. Just do it. The best man for the job is a woman. Those are all the little sayings that my generation grew up under and many, many others. The Trojan horse is public education, the universities, and music. Absolutely. You see, the children of our society, as a result, through the direct consequence of parents not modeling submission, end up rebelling and undermining the authority of the home and society. Now, let me say that you can be the best model and obedient, and your child can still rebel. So it's not always just your fault because they rebel. But you know if they rebel because you're a hypocrite and you haven't taught them and you've compromised, or whether because it's their own rebellion. You're the only one that can make that judgment. The children undermine the authority of the father. They laugh at their mother. Children are indoctrinated at schools to be liberal. 
unsubmissive and demanding rather than educated and to respect and obey. The entitled special interest groups and gangs are disrupting and destroying society. But what so many don't understand and fail to recognize that our society as a mere reflection of our homes where authority and submission has been allowed to be undermined, weakened, and the fabric of society is coming apart. No amount of money can solve our chaotic social problems. No amount of programs can reverse the lawlessness of our society. No amount of good intentions will correct the problem. Nothing but being born again can change the heart of one person, one at a time. That's how you get changed by your heart. Why is this so? Because the carnal mind is an enmity against God, for it's not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be, Romans 8, 7 says. If we're not born again, we will not submit to authority. We are our own authority. The natural man has no ability to submit to God. For Christians to expect the unbeliever to submit to the word of God is foolishness, unreasonable. God doesn't even require that of the non-believer. They can't. They're dead in trespasses and sins. Ephesians 2, 1 and 2. When you have um, a complete breakdown of the family for any long duration, it will eventually manifest itself in society. In violence and lawlessness, delinquency and low morals, confusion of roles and bringing about promiscuity and homosexuality and alternate lifestyles, the politically correctness, Labeled to disguise and pervert the destruction lifestyles that really are condemned by Scripture. Just read when you go home, chapter 1 of Romans, verse 18 to 32. When they knew God, they didn't want to glorify Him as God. They changed the natural use of the woman, the man, worshiped the creature more than the Creator, which is blessed evermore, whose judgment and punishment is fit. It's appropriate for them. God says this, not me. We live in a Godless generation that is caught up in self-love, self-absorption, self-indulgence, and self-destruction. Listen to Second Timothy 3, 1 through 5. He says, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, bolsters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And from such people, turn away. Doesn't say hate them. Doesn't say pray that I break their teeth in their mouth. He just says, turn away from them. You pray for them, you give the gospel to them, but if after that this is the way, you must turn away at some point. A servant was left by his master to care for his prize-fighting roosters, and he went into town. Thinking that it would be time to feed them as he left them, he says it would probably be easier if he just let them all out. <laughs> well, you know, they're fighting roosters. You can't do that. So he let open up all the cages and began to kill each other, to his surprise. He didn't know what he was going to tell his master. He sees the master coming back up, you know, up the road. When the master arrived, he asked him, what happened? The servant responded, well, I thought they would know. They were all on the same team. Really? What a picture of society and marriages in the world, in our nation today, and even in the church. No one wants to submit, failing to see they're on the same team. Husbands and wives, you get back to back to fight against the enemy, not against each other. There's no armor in your back, so don't run. Get back to back. We need to pray for our country and marriages. For there is um, spiritual blindness. The God of this world has blinded them. And it's getting worse. Second Corinthians 4.4. 4. Satan's a good deceiver. We need to pray for those in authority and government that they get saved. 
For if there is no radical turning from the ongoing decay of our nation, there will be no hope for our nation. Paul says this in 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4. Kings, those in government, all. And this year is very, very important. This is a, this is a very important year for our nation in these elections. And I pray that you do not stay home. Do you not realize that 50% of Christians don't vote? They stay home? I hope it's not you. You have children and grandchildren going to live here. You better make the right choice for them. You can't bow out. We need to provide our families and neighbors and co-workers and the world at large with an example of godly homes and spirit-filled marriages. Um, that's two submissive servants. They'll know you're not perfect. First Timothy 4.12 says, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example of the believer in word and conduct and love and spirit and faith and in purity. It's the same standard for you. Same standard for me. Submission is uh, distasteful to the unbeliever. But notice, thirdly, submission is to depict the Christian home controlled by the Spirit. Submission in family relationships. And I'm just going to run you through it. We'll go on verse by verse in the next uh, weeks and months. But we are to submit to one another in verse 21 here. Wives are to submit to their husbands in verse 22. Husbands are to submit to their wives by loving them in verse 25. Children are to submit to their parents by obeying them in 6.1. Parents are to submit to their children in terms of using wisdom to not provoke them to wrath, 6.4. Servants are to submit to their masters in 6.5. Masters are to submit to the Lord in 6.9. This entire list is used to comprise the average home with the exception of servants and masters. And we make the comparisons employers to employees. The family is the very fiber that holds the home together and the very nucleus of society. Submission in the sexual relationship is also spoken about. Paul had um, responded to some questions the Corinthians had about marriage. In 1 Corinthians six fifteen through 20, um, Corinth had the temple of Aphrodite, as you know, female prostitutes. Some of the Corinthians were still joining themselves to them. And Paul says, what are you doing joining Christ to, to Harley? You're making them one. In 1 Corinthians 7, 3-4, the apostle writes, Let the husband render to his wife due affection to her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband has no authority over his body, but the wife does. So in other words, when you're married, you're supposed to say no to sex before you're married, not after you're married. Okay? Have we got that straight? All right? Now, I hope you understand me that I'm not saying that a husband should force you or that you should force your husband. That would not be what God would want. But that we're not to deny each other because we love each other and we submit to each other out of love. Some of the husbands were thinking there in Corinth that they would be more spiritual by denying themselves sexual relationship with their wives. And Paul says, are you out of your mind? Now, give yourself to prayer and fasting for a time. Tell your husband, your wife, hon, I'm going to just seek the Lord for two or three days. But you don't say, you know, I'm just going to seek the Lord for a year, so I'm not. No, 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 you don't, you don't do that, okay? Lest you be tempted by the devil, okay? Simple. The apostle addresses the man first focusing on the man to fulfill his duty to his wife, submitting in the area of their sexual oneness. It's kind of strange that he's asking the husband to submit to the sexual oneness. Paul says that in the most intimate relationship, a husband and wife have the submission in this mutual, willingly, in this intimacy in the fear of God. Not outside of marriage, but within marriage. Both being sensitive to one another, their feelings, their needs, being spirit-filled and controlled, Ephesians 5.18, and not simply just gratifying themselves without concern for the other. 
The goal is the glory of God, ladies and gentlemen. The glory of God. The balance and responsibility to each other is mutual once again. Ladies, if you're always having a headache, take an aspirin. Gentlemen, if you're always pouting because your wife has a headache, lighten up. Grow up. Simple. Please do not let Satan enter the bedroom. The holy of holies. Enjoy each other. God says it's okay you're married. Submission also in the caring relationship. First Corinthians seven thirty two, Paul says, But I would I want you to be without a care. He who is unmarried care for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. So the single person has no binding obligation to any other person. The single person is married to the Lord. When you are single, you only have to care about yourself. Simple. When you're single, you don't have many problems because you're just by yourself and you think you're the greatest. So everything works out. You know what I mean? It's when you get married and all of a sudden, of course, I never had these problems until you came along. So it must be you. No, marriage just shows you how selfish and rotten you are. But he who is married cares for the things of the world, how he may please his wife. 1 Corinthians 7.33 When you're married, you are to care for each other. Make sure you do not make an idol out of your husband or wife. It can be done. But also being realistic, our wife or husband cannot meet all of our needs. Only Jesus can meet all of our needs. There is a difference between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But she who is married cares for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. 1 Corinthians 7.34 The virgin lives in her purity to please God. The married woman lives in purity of love to please her husband. The reason for the specific instruction was for their own profit, to not neglect their mates and serve the Lord without distraction. 1 Corinthians 7.35 So there's nothing wrong with you caring for your wife or your husband. Nothing wrong with you having to mow the lawn or to do different things because you're married. You have those obligations. You know how many people want to escape, they escape all those obligations? Then they say, well, God has called me to do this and my wife and my house. Oh, no. No, that's a contradiction. Your qualifications is your home. Submission in the acknowledgement of God's design is important also. Listen to 1 Corinthians eleven eight. The man is not from woman, but the woman from the man. God created Adam first, and God caused the deep leaves to fall upon Adam. And from his curved side, the closest part from his heart, God made the woman. Not from the dust of the ground, but the closest part of his heart. Nor was man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. 1 Corinthians eleven nine. That's just the way God puts it. The man was not made for the woman. The woman was made for the man. God's creative order. The headship, the submissiveness. Never inferiority. Regardless of what our modern society says, the woman was created for the man, not the man for the woman. It's not good the man should be alone. I will make it help me for him. Genesis 2, 18. This in no way minimizes nor emphasizes a degrading or inferior part or position of the woman in God's order in marriage. Never. It exalts her. Marriage exalts the woman. It does not degrade her. Fornication, adultery, degrades the woman. Marriage exalts her. Ladies, it's not an insult for your person or your character. You're not a sex object or a slave for a man. But you're valued very highly in the eyes of God in view of who you are. You complete your husband. You're one. You're the icing on the cake. <laughs> Cake's good, but icing makes it sweeter, right? 
Nevertheless, neither is a man independent of the woman, the woman independent of the man in the Lord, for a woman uh, came, for the woman came uh, from man. Even so, man also comes through the woman. But all things are of God. First Corinthians 11, 11 through 12. So no woman is independent of a man. She completes the man, but the man is the instrument from his curved side. No man can say, I don't need a woman, because if no woman, no more children. That's it, right? The qualification is in the Lord. Notice addressing those who are Christians. The believer is to know what the scriptures teach about man's role and the woman's role. You're to know. You're to look at it. You're to teach your children. The woman also is to know. Adam said, this is born of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman because she was taken out of man in Genesis 2.23. Adam saw part of himself in Eve. Adam saw the completeness of himself in Eve. You see, God established the institution of marriage in Genesis 2, 24, 25. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, they two shall become one flesh. They were both naked, the man and the woman, they were not ashamed. A new home, a new authority. A mutual submission, withholding nothing from each other. Submission is to depict the Christian home by God's design for efficiency and productivity. It's been put like this. It costs much to obtain the power of the Spirit. It costs self-surrender and humiliation and a yielding up of our most precious things to God. It costs the perseverance of long waiting and the faith of strong trust. But when we are really in that power, we shall find this difference, that whereas before it was hard for us to do the easiest things, now it is easy for us to do the hard things. He knows, he loves, he cares. Nothing this truth can dim. He does the very best for those who have or who leave the choice to him. The will of God. The problem in our every generation is that every generation wants the product, but they don't want to put in the process. No process, no product. Simple. Without the process, you can't have it. You've got to have the ingredients for a good cake or you don't get the product or anything else. The basic principle is literal sacrifice. Listen, most assuredly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground, it dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. John 12, 24. Marriages that are fun and enjoy each other are not problem-free. They merely have committed themselves to resolving the issues of life and submitting themselves to the authority of God. They're being continually filled with the Spirit of God in Ephesians 5.18. They are submitting to one another continuously under that Spirit in Ephesians 5.21. Marriages that are loving and affectionate after many years have counted the cost of mission and they paid the price of discipline and obedience to deny themselves daily, to pick up their cross, Mark 8.34, to forgive one another even as Jesus has forgiven them, Colossians 3.13. Marriages that have passion, for each other, have cultivated their love by submitting daily to each other and through the grace of God. Love God first, then each other. And now abides faith, hope, and love, these three, but the grace of this is agape love, 1 Corinthians thirteen thirty-three. Submission is to depict the Christian home controlled by the Spirit. So here you have the three things about submission. Submission is a distinguishing mark of the believer. Submission is distasteful to the unbeliever. And submission is to depict the Christian home controlled by the Spirit. How are we doing? <laughs> it's for everybody. Lord, thank you for your grace and goodness. We love you. We thank you. Thank you for your word, Lord, and that uh, we're able to grow and Submit our lives to you and each other. And how good you are, Lord, through the years, in spite of us. Lord, keep us abiding in you. I pray for every marriage here tonight. And those that come to this church, Lord, that they would seek you. They would just allow you to work in them and through them. You would make strong homes with them as heads, the men and the women. And their completion of that husband, Lord. The children, as they see that example, that model. And the Lord, they would be under godly authority. As you're praying, if you're here tonight, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior,
And God has brought you here to be saved. To repent of your sins. But only you can make that decision. No one can make it for you. If you believe that you are a sinner, then it's by the grace of God that He allowed you to see that. If you believe that God died for your sins, that Jesus took on your sins and paid that price, and that death was the provisions for the forgiveness of those sins, then you can call upon His name. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing Him by the Word of God. So maybe you're over the internet. If you don't know Jesus, maybe you find yourself as a husband or a wife and you're listening to what I shared. And you're saying, that's impossible. No, it isn't. Or maybe you say, you know, I'd love to do that. Well, you can if you come to Christ. But it is going to cost you. If you want to live and enjoy life, there's a cost. You ready for it? Your life. It will cost you your life. It costs the son his life that you might live. And so if you want to be born again, this is a prayer of repentance. You can repeat right where you sit or over the internet. And he is going to forgive you right now and make you his son or daughter. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.